Uh, today, um, we have a visiting speaker, uh, which is um, it's not often we get to, we've been able to say that in recent months and years, so um, I'm very pleased to welcome Alex Hanna, who is the uh, UCCF staff worker for Aberdeen uh, and uh, the Highlands, I think that includes as well. Well, if you want to turn back to Acts 4, uh, or to Acts 5, sorry, have it open um, in front of you. Silence is golden. That's the saying, isn't it? But what about when it isn't? What about when silence is not golden? If you have young children, it's often when it goes silent that the real trouble starts. The silence in the eye of a storm comes just before some of the strongest winds. And in the book of Acts, we see that for the early church, that they were not silent. That despite the efforts to keep them silent, they just wouldn't. Be quiet. Up to this point in the book of Acts, we have seen wondrous beginnings of the church. Amazing feats, miracles, signs, wonders, drama, powerful speeches. It's got all the ingredients for a blockbuster film, doesn't it? And a few weeks ago, when Duncan spoke in Acts 4, the church that won't be silenced, when Peter and John were arrested, when they were taken before the council, when they were warned to remain silent about the gospel, A very clear instruction was given to them, but one that they were unable to follow. Peter, John, and the church went and prayed together, asking God to embolden them and to work through them as they spoke the gospel in Jerusalem. And their prayers were answered as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the gospel. See, the church wouldn't be silenced because they knew the gospel needed to advance. They knew that the gospel needed to advance. And from our passage this morning, we'll see how chapter 4 wasn't just a one-off event, but that this is a church that really, that really won't be silenced. You see, that advance of the gospel was the ultimate goal for the early church, and the gospel needed to be proclaimed. It was their convictions about the advancement of the gospel that drove them to speak. And this passage helps us to build our own convictions about the advancement of the gospel, which will hopefully drive us, will drive you as Bankery Christian Fellowship to be a church that will not be silenced. So firstly, the advance of the gospel is inevitable. The advance of the gospel is inevitable. One recurring theme throughout the book of Acts is the advance of the gospel. Time and time again, we see new believers added to their numbers. And that's what we see in verse 14 of our passage. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And what makes this verse even more incredible is knowing what has happened before. You see, this is at a time when they already saw 3,000 souls added on the day of Pentecost. They saw the Lord adding to their number day upon day upon day. But here we read that for the early church, They welcomed in new believers at a rate that eclipses even the 3,000 of Pentecost. So what was it that caused such exponential growth in the church? Well, Luke records for us in the surrounding verses that it was was in part due to the signs and wonders done by the hands of the apostles. People being carried into the streets, being shepherded from towns around Jerusalem, even just to allow the shadow of Peter to fall upon them. Now, it's easy and understandable for us to read this 
and think, fantastic, great. That's our mission strategy sorted. Forget training in how to speak. Forget inviting people to hear a talk. We'll spend our time seeking these supernatural healings. Then we'll see thousands upon thousands added to our number. But before we jump there, I think it's important to look at the purpose of these signs and wonders. And to do that, we'll look back, look back in chapter 4 to see what the apostles prayed for in verses 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, this isn't everything that the Bible has to say about supernatural gifts, but Luke is very clear that these signs and wonders are serving a purpose. They are there to authenticate the message that the apostles are proclaiming, to legitimize them as the mouthpieces of God, to legitimize the word of God that they were speaking in a time when the church was in its infancy. This isn't a prescriptive strategy for mission. Rather, it is a descriptive account of how God used signs and wonders to help the gospel advance through Jerusalem. And from their prayer, we know that these signs and wonders weren't isolated, but alongside the preaching of the gospel. Look upon, and Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They are already proclaiming the gospel, and these signs are just there to back up what they are saying. So God answered the prayer of the apostles not only by providing signs and wonders, but also through giving them the boldness to speak. So that the words of Jesus in Acts 1 would be fulfilled as the apostles were being Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As you read through the book of Acts, you will see that the gospel does indeed advance through Judea, Samaria, and eventually to Rome, the gateway to the ends of the earth in the first century. And as we are here 2,000 years later, worshiping the Lord Jesus together, we know that the gospel has indeed reached the ends of the earth. God's salvation plan began with the gospel advancing out of Jerusalem by the words of his servants to the ends of the earth. The advance of the gospel is inevitable, and we see that here in verse 16, the first glimpses of that geographical expansion of the gospel. The gospel is beginning to advance outwards as people are being brought in from the towns around Jerusalem. And it hasn't stopped since. The gospel expanded through Jerusalem into the towns around it, then into Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth, even to the northeast of Scotland here today. Yes, the advance of the gospel is inevitable, but it is not without difficulty. And secondly, as secondly, the advance of the gospel comes through opposition. The advance of the gospel comes through opposition. Up to this point in Acts, we've read of Peter and John being arrested in chapter 4. In chapter 5, we read of the episode, read the episode of Ananias and Sapphira. And in verse 17, we read the next ploy of Satan to halt the advancement of the gospel. As the apostles grew in popularity, so does hostility. As the numbers of the church 
rose. So does the high priest in his anger. Through the preaching of the gospel, or through the preaching of the gospel, the spiritual leadership of Jerusalem is shifting away from the Sanhedrin to the apostles, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And considering, considering that the day, that even that simply days earlier, the apostles had been ordered to stop speaking, stop preaching the gospel. Here in verse 17, we read, we read of the formidable mob of the high priest and his council coming for the apostles. What was their motive? Well, they were filled with jealousy. Jealousy is what hardened their hearts to the gospel. And later in verse 33, we read that they have pure rage, jealousy and rage. And what did they do? Well, they arrest not just Peter and John this time, but all the apostles, dragging them from the midst of the crowds, humiliating them, throwing them into the public prison, verse 18. They arrest them again in verse 26 after their miraculous escape from prison, although this time not with force. And in verse 40, they beat them. The gospel has brought hostility from the religious leaders of the time, fueled by jealousy, then by rage. They arrested the apostles trying to stop the gospel in its tracks. And what was their accusations against the apostles? What was the reason for this opposition? Well, twofold. Firstly, the council were annoyed about the apostles going against their orders. Verse 28. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, but yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And secondly, they were angry that the apostles were blaming them for the death of Jesus. Again, verse 28, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. After Peter's response to the council, they are outraged at the thought that they, the religious leaders of the time, would need the gospel themselves. They once again issue the apostles with another charge not to preach upon release in verse 40. They even wanted to take the lives of the apostles in verse 33. This is all the opposition, all opposition that the apostles faced, just from this one passage alone. Jealousy, rage, arrests, imprisonments, beatings, accusations, intimidation, threats. The opposition that was brought to them, opposition that was brought to the apostles because they were preaching the gospel. Now again, this part of Acts is descriptive rather than prescriptive i.e. this is the way it happened for the apostles then. This is not how it should look like for all believers all the time. But the Bible makes it clear that the church, that Christians should not be surprised when opposition arises. And it's fair to make a note that that then, just as now, that the gospel still advances through opposition. For us here in Scotland, for us in the West, it may not look like arrests and beatings. That doesn't mean that opposition to the gospel isn't present. Churches being denied building projects because they have and hold to biblical teachings. Christian unions having events polled by the universities because they want to talk about the realities of sin. Churches lambasted as bigots for teaching what is, what is at odds with the culture. All of these have happened in Scotland in the not so distant past. Opposition to the gospel is real here in Scotland. 
But for most believers in other parts of the world, what we read of in Acts 5 is exactly the opposition that they face. Christians being arrested, brothers and sisters in Christ being dragged from their homes and imprisoned, followers of Jesus being tortured and some executed for not denying him, for not staying quiet. We only have to look to organizations like Operation World or the Barnabas Fund to see churches, to hear of churches around the world that look very similar to the early church in terms of opposition. Here, it may not be that bad, but I do think it's still fair to say that we are in a time in our culture, a time in our society, where opposition to the gospel is that it's most mainstream in what has been a very long time. And think of what it is about the church. Think of what it is about Christians that invites that opposition from society. Well, it's not merely the fact that we're Christians. People are quite happy to let you believe what you want to believe. You do you. But rather, what riles the leaders of the council in the early church is what riles people today. It's not that we believe in Jesus, but that we want them to believe in Jesus. It's when we open our mouths. It's when we share the gospel. It's when we tell them about their need for Christ. That is when opposition is likely to come. You see, the church is celebrated when it's silent, when food banks are established with no proclamation aside, when the poor are helped practically but spiritually are left in their poverty, when the minister celebrates the culture but in doing so disregards God's word. That is when Christians and churches will be celebrated. But when they open their mouths, when they share the truth of the gospel, that is when opposition comes. When the preacher teaches on the depravity and the need of a saviour. When Christians speak out against the norms of the culture. We welcome persecution. And it's not just in institutions that we find that opposition. But we see it in our own personal outreach as well, don't we? The mocking scoffs of others when you tell them about Jesus. The looks from the other parents at the school gate when you invite them to hear about the gospel of Christ. The isolation you may face from your classmates or your colleagues because you keep searching for opportunities to share the hope that you have in Jesus. You see, speaking about your faith in the face of opposition can feel like you're risking a lot. can feel like you're risking a lot. But let's look at what the apostles did. After they had been released from prison for the first time, where did they go? What did they do? Well, verse 21, they went back into the temple and began to preach. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what was going to happen after that, does it? I don't think any one of us, after being released from prison for preaching, we'd go back to the exact same spot and do the exact same thing. We'd likely retreat somewhere. We'd likely rethink our strategy. But no, the apostles continue to advance the gospel through opposition. Because, on to our third point, the advance of the gospel is of utmost importance. The advance of the gospel is of utmost importance. The apostles have already defied the church's charge, or defied the charge, sorry, not to preach and teach. It's what got them thrown into prison. But now they are released from prison by an angel of the Lord, 
and instead that angel gave them a greater charge, a contrasting charge, one not to remain silent, but rather one to go to the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life in verse 20, and they go and do so. And what follows is something, it's like something from a sitcom sketch. The high priest, all the religious leaders of the day, are, of the council, are gathered together. They're ready to put the apostles on trial. They send for the apostles to be brought from their cell. Only when the guard opens the door, there's no one inside. Despite having guards on the door all night, despite the doors being locked shut, the apostles have pulled off a daring escape. It's reported back to the council. The captain and of the guard and the priests, they panic, they are confused as to where these fugitives have gone, only to hear that they have gone to the last place that they thought they would be. They have gone back to the temple. They're teaching the people of Jerusalem. Well, the council had gathered to figure out how to stop the gospel being shared, here the apostles were teaching the gospel in the heart of religious Israel. Verses 29-32, in response to the accusations made by the council, Peter replies, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The apostles, they prayed for boldness in chapter 4. And here stands Peter once again showing that God has answered that prayer, giving a reason for their refusal to keep silent. For Peter, it's a matter of obedience. For Peter, evangelism, sharing the gospel, is obedience. Following the orders of the Lord Jesus, who said, go and make disciples, go and be my witnesses. In fact, for Christians today, we stand on the foundations of the apostles' teachings. The same is true. To evangelize is to obey God, even in the face of opposition, even when it's hard, even when we risk our comfort and our safety. Now, the Bible has a lot more to say on how Christians should relate to those in power over them, whether it's governing authorities, even employers. Think of Romans 13. Think of even the words of Peter himself in chapter 2 of his first letter. But when push comes to shove, we must obey God rather than men. But that does not mean that we seek out opportunities to rebel. Because look at what Peter goes on to say in verses 30 to 32. Peter isn't responding to the council just to be difficult. But rather he's responding in order to share the gospel He tells these Jewish leaders that the same God that they claim to know, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, is the same God who has raised Jesus. He lets them know that they killed him by hanging him on a tree, an allusion to Deuteronomy, which I'm sure wasn't lost on them. He tells them that Jesus is now exalted by God to his right hand as leader and savior in order so that Israel may have repentance and forgiveness of sins, and that that they are witnesses of these things, those charged by the risen Jesus, to tell others the good news, to tell others the gospel, to tell others the words of life, and that they have the Holy Spirit given given to them by God as a witness as well. You see, Peter's response starts and ends with obedience. We have continued to preach because we obey God 
And we have the Holy Spirit who God has given us because we obey him. But in the middle, in verse 31, is the crux of Peter's response. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Even in their trial, the apostles give the opportunity of repentance to their accusers. They point them in the direction of the cross to the forgiveness of sins in the Messiah. For the apostles, the advance of the gospel was of utmost importance. People coming to know Jesus was of utmost importance. And it still is. It still is of utmost importance. Christians, we know this, don't we? We are here today, able to have the assurance of salvation, able to own the knowledge of the saving work of the cross, because a Christian didn't remain silent when they shared their faith with you. Whether it's parents, siblings, grandparents, teachers. For me, it was my friend Sarah. We know how important it is to share the gospel, because through the gospel being shared with us is how we have come to receive the greatest gift that we could repentance and forgiveness of sins and that's why we share the gospel that's why we don't remain silent isn't it we don't share the gospel to provoke opposition we don't share the gospel as if to say that we are better than others we don't even share the gospel as a display of obedience no we share the gospel because we know that's what people need we share the gospel because that is what people need just as we need it And if you're not a Christian here today, then let me seriously encourage you not to leave here without at least looking into that message that these believers and that millions of believers today would risk imprisonment, beatings, and even their own lives for, rather than to stop sharing this message. But although the gospel was shared in the council, it wasn't met with a uniform response of saving faith. It wasn't an immediate happy ending, was it? Instead of saving faith, the response was, rage and murderous desires. It's easy for us to read of the early church and to focus on the encouragements of the thousands being saved. The encouragements of seeing God at work through miraculous signs and wonders. But one encouragement that we can often skip is is that the job of the Christian in obedience, ensuring the gospel, is that it brings different responses. As staff worker of the CUs, I constantly remind students of our mission statement. We exist to give every student the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when students are downtrodden, when they come to me upset, some in tears, because their friend who they have shared the gospel with has rejected it once again and say that they want nothing to do with Christianity, it is a wonderful thing to be able to say Well done, good and faithful servant. Because as servants of God, our job is not to make converts. We simply can't. We can't. We cannot decide how people will respond. The apostles couldn't even do that. Rather, they preached the words. They shared the words of life, and God did the rest. God did the rest. We obey in speaking the gospel because it is of utmost importance but we do not lose hope when faced with opposition because, and fourthly, the advance of the gospel is controlled by God. The advance of the gospel is controlled by God. It's easy for us to read the Acts of the Apostles and think of them as superhumans. 
But actually, we need to be reminding ourselves that they were just weak men. They were not superhumans, but were weak men with a super God. Just look through this passage and look at, look at, look at what all God does, how we see his divine plan unfold. He answered the prayers of the apostles for boldness. God was doing signs through them in verses 12 to 16. People were believing and being added to the Lord, verse 14. He sent the angel to release the apostles from prison, verse 19. He caused a great respect of the apostles among the people so the guards couldn't arrest them by force. And most surprisingly of all, he allowed the apostles to be freed the second time through the bureaucracy of a politician, verses 34 to 39. Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was well respected by all, stood up and gave his advice, recalling previous threats to the status quo of Israel. Through the failed rebellions of Thaddeus and Judas the Galilean, their followers dispersed after their leaders were killed. And Gamaliel suggests to just wait it out and to see if the same will be true of this brand new church. If this, is the pl- if this, is or th- if this plan is or this undertaking of man, it will fail. But if, if it is of God, you will not be able to over- overthrow them, verses 38 and 39. Now, in first reading, it can sound like godly wisdom, can't it? Because ultimately, we know it's true. Ultimately, we know it's true. Ultimately, everything that isn't of God will not last. On the final day, all godless endeavors of man will fall, will fail, will be destroyed. That's not what Gamaliel is doing here. I think, he's rather, I think rather he's being a pure politician, sitting firmly on the fence, sitting back and hoping it will all blow over, maybe from fear of the people, maybe for a different reason. But we are not to marvel at the full wisdom of this man but rather we are to see how God used this man and his advice to advance the gospel by freeing the apostles. And we're not surprised by this, are we? Because God is wonderful at pulling strings to advance the gospel, whether through the supernatural or the changing of favor of a crowd or through the bureaucracy of a politician like here in this passage, but in different ways, ways that we can see today A school which has had no gospel influence suddenly appoints a new member of staff who is open for an SU group to start. A student's union at a university who had previously been very hostile in allowing the CU to host events suddenly is advertising CU events because they themselves had failed to organize their own Freshers' Week. A football club who, in an effort to show that they care for its players to to gain public um, favor, will contact the nearest minister of a church as a chaplain. These are just a few examples, a few examples of what looks like chance, but there are no coincidences in the advancement of the gospel because God is in control. God is in control. He used Gamaliel to free the apostles. Instead of them being killed, instead of them remaining locked up, they were freed with a beating as their punishment, which they were able to rejoice in, but they were freed. Now, being able to rejoice in their beating and that punishment is not because they were masochists, not because they wanted to identify as martyrs, but because they got to identify with their saviour, Jesus Christ. You see, suffering of persecution wasn't the goal of the apostles, and it shouldn't be ours either. A Christian speaker once said at a Christian conference I was at, it is not persecution if you are being an idiot. It's called justice. 
You see, if we seek martyrdom under the guise of evangelism and get it, then there is no honor in that. If we provoke just for the sake of provoking, then we are not obeying God. If we have more joy screaming hell, fire, and brimstone at people than deep sorrow for them not knowing the Lord Jesus, then that is a disgrace. For the apostles, the goal was always to advance the gospel, was always to make Christ's name and his life, his death, his resurrection known, to be his witnesses from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth, to see people added to the Lord. And that should be our goal as well. But the apostles didn't do that in their own strengths. They needed boldness. They needed the boldness that can only come from God. And especially, especially when opposition and persecution were legitimate threats. So for them, God turned dishonor into honor and allowed them to rejoice in their suffering for the sake of Christ as good and faithful servants. You see, God's hand is all over the advancement of the gospel through the book of Acts and even today. And finally, the advance of the gospel is unstoppable. The advance of the gospel is unstoppable. See, this is the second time of Acts where the, where the gospel could have stopped dead in its tracks. But yet, even though we have read of three arrests thus far, one for Peter and John and two for the rest of the apostles, we read these encouraging words in verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Once again, the apostles disobeyed the charge to stay silent. Instead, they preached that Jesus is the Christ, not only in the temple, not only in the heart of religious Israel, but from house to house, door to door evangelism. Satan tried to keep the gospel from advancing, but God had other plans. What we read in verse 42 is we read of a Jerusalem which was now saturated with the gospel with the gospel being shared and declared both publicly in the temple and privately in people's homes. The gospel was being preached and people were being added to the church. Before I finish, one detail in this passage that I think is worth exploring is how on earth did Luke find out the details of what was going on in the council, of what was being said in the council with all the apostles being thrown in prison, with them being taken outside, how did they know? Well, if you look on down into the next passage, into the next chapter, verse 7 of chapter 6, we read, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It appears that some who were in that council, the priests who were part of that council, the priests who arrested the apostles, members of the same council that was enraged when hearing the, impossible, the apostles would be obedient to God rather than to them. Well, it appears that a great many of them became obedient to the Lord themselves and were added to the church. God is in control over the advance of his gospel. It is inevitable and it is unstoppable. So as we finish and finish with this passage, we can have two responses as Christians. One is to simply enjoy the story, to, 
to lift up these apostles as superhuman, to think, oh, wasn't that great for them way back then? Thinking that such boldness, such courage, such audacity is for the extraordinary. Meanwhile, we're happy to sit down, not make a fuss, and to stay silent. That is one response. But let me encourage you to take the second. We can view the apostles as the weak men that they were. And we can ask for the same boldness to the same God that they asked for. That we too may speak the words of life and see the gospel advance. Refusing to remain silent. Refusing to be silenced. Because the souls of the lost are at stake. Because the advancement of Christ, his word, his kingdom is at stake. You see, silence is not golden in a church. And let me encourage you, as a church, to be a church that will not stay silent. To be a church that will speak words of life. To be a church that will persevere through opposition and persecution until Pankery is saturated with the gospel. And in doing so, knowing that the God who advanced the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to your home is the same God who is able to advance it into every home in this time. Through weak servants who seek boldness to speak his words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good and you're holy. And we thank you for your work in advancing the gospel. We thank you that despite the plots and plans and ploys of Satan, that you use your servants as weak as they are, to advance the gospel through opposition from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And Father, we praise you and thank you today that we are only here today as benefactors of that advancement of the gospel. We thank you that that gospel has advanced to this corner of Scotland and that through it we have been brought to the cross of Christ and through him, through his life, his death, his resurrection, that we have known this life, that we have eternal life and that we now have reconciliation with you, true reconciliation with you and reconciliation with one another, united in Christ. And thus, Lord, we want to obey you as the one who has called us out of the darkness into this marvelous light. Father, we pray that you would continue to advance the gospel into the homes and into the hearts of those who don't yet know you. Father, we pray that just as you used the saints in the early church, that you would use us. We pray that you would give us the boldness that only you can give. We pray that you would give us the courage to speak the gospel, even when it's easier to remain silent. We pray that you would give us the reassurance, knowing that we go, with, we go not alone, but rather with your spirit, who is the witness of Christ resurrected and in glory. And Father, we pray that you would give us the desire and the heart to see souls of the lost turn to you, to see repentance and forgiveness of sins, and give us the perseverance to continue until bankery is filled with the gospel. May your son's name be on the lips of each one of us as we leave here. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.